Uh, all that out of the way, um, I'm going to pick up where, uh, basically where we left off with, with James in, in James 4. God, uh, we thank you. I, I'm, I'm really enjoying the sound of the wind. <laughs> we thank you for sunsets um, and heritage-listed chimneys and wonderful people uh, in whom you dwell. And uh, Lord, I pray that we'd meet you again uh, tonight. We'd hear from you again tonight from your word, from one another. Amen. Amen. Everyone's going okay volume-wise? Great. Um, I can't do all of chapter 4, so I'm just going to pick up uh, chapter 4, verses 6 and 10, and I'll give you a little bit of context uh, as I go. So verse 6 of chapter 4 uh, of James says, But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. This is the cheery stuff. Purify your hearts, you double-minded people. Uh, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Uh, I feel like I couldn't get away without offering just a bit of context tonight because you might notice that uh, the first word of the, the verse that I started with, but, is that a conjunction? Is that what you call that? Um, there you go. English, it's the blessing of having real teachers around. Um, you know, it makes you wonder, but what? Why are you saying, why are you saying, but yeah, Rob had his first week this week as a teacher and he's lived to tell the tale. I'm praying for you, Rob. Yeah, <laughs> just. Yeah. So, but, uh, what, what comes before the but? Well, if you, uh, you can even get some insight into this by just scanning those headings that are in the sort of subheadings that will probably be in your Bible. Of course, they weren't in the original manuscripts. The publishers have put those in so that you can do something like scan the first three chapters. Um, but just before uh, this section, there, there is um, verses 1 to 3 in particular of chapter 4. It's talking about the fact that uh, the people in the community that James is writing to, early Christians, we believe who were in the Jerusalem area and, and were maybe feeling some persecution and maybe even scattered a little bit. There was a problem amongst them with pursuing their own destructive pleasures. So it talks about, um, you know, you, you, you're doing things that you want to do and not really submitting yourself to God. He talks about uh, them living in worldliness, basically, in the pursuit of their pleasure. And even to the extent that they're praying for things that God hasn't, you know, God wouldn't have them pray for. But actually, if you look at James, there's a whole litany of problems that they're having. That whilst this is a very encouraging book, he's also addressing some issues uh, that they have. Um, 
he addresses in chapter 2. So these are sections that we have preached through, even if we haven't pulled out the you're very naughty people verses, uh, that there's some discrimination in, in the body and there's favoritism. Uh, so you might have a heading that says on favoritism or on not showing favorites. Uh, he talks about the fact that they've been speaking negatively about other people. And you might remember Pastor Graham spoke about the power of the tongue. Um, he talks about the fact in uh, chapter 3, verses 13 to 18, that they were exhibiting bitter envy and selfish ambition. And then here in early chapter 4, as I mentioned, pursuing their own destructive pleasures. The but is really nice here, the conjunction, because it says, but despite the way that you're terrible rat bags, you're worldly and not godly in all these ways, he gives us more grace. So that's the good news. Where sin abounds, as the Apostle Paul would say, grace abounds. So you're getting it wrong in so many ways, but he gives us more grace. And one way of thinking about this passage that I've read from verse 6 to verse 10 um, is that it's like James is sort of saying, here are the keys to the godliness that you're falling short of. You're living in a worldly way. Here's something that can help you to grasp or to live into the godliness that God would have for you. And so he says, and here's the beginning of that key, verse 6, God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. And so worldliness is correspondent in that to pride, but humility is the key to living a godly life. And James is writing to Jews, so he's echoing the Old Testament there, as the New Testament writers so often are. He's, he's echoing Proverbs 3. It might say in the footnotes of your Bible where it says, and this is a bit more of an Old testament way of saying this, he mocks proud mockers, but he shows favour to the humble and to the oppressed. So that's encouraging. Grace abounds. Humility is the key. The trouble with humility, I remember uh, Pastor Joy Greats preached a great message not so long on humility, but it's one of those things where it's like, how does one grasp <laughs> humility? Um, often uh, we kind of come into it uh, by a set of circumstances that we would never choose. Uh, and the thing about humility is that it it seems to run counter to, to most of our, I, I think, human nature. Even people who might not be sort of proud on the surface. Often when you, um, you know, so some people can be overly self-effacing. They can be down on themselves. But actually when you scratch the surface of that oftentimes, it, there's a pride root underneath. We tend to be beings who want to do it our way. And somehow, pig-headedly, it doesn't make sense, believe that we can do things in our own capacity and in our own power. Um, I uh, told the story this morning because um, it came to mind for me as I was thinking about humility and pride. Uh, this week of uh, this Christmas, we gave uh, the three big kids, so Athanasius, Junie and, um, and Iggy, we gave them some money to buy their own gifts. Um, Cheryl and I, I joke about her being uh, like Greta Thunberg, 
there's just a whole heap of generosity in that woman, but very limited ways to express it because she doesn't want to buy toys that are, you know, like plastic or made in China or whatever. So somehow she can abate the guilt that would come with gifting our children the things that they really want by giving them money and making it <laughs> their choice. <laughs> Plus it's a bit of fun, you know, in the holidays to, uh, to have a bit of spending money and to go to the shops. So our kids had this quite unique experience this year Christmas of going uh, to to the toy section after Christmas morning to spend their own money, but we made it even more fun. It seemed like a good idea. I think we'll do it again. Instead of giving them uh, like a crisp plasticky pineapple, a $50 note, uh, we gave it to them all in coins. So she went to the bank and got $150 worth of gold coins out and then they all just got like a little gift of like a pile of coins. Uh, where it got tricky was taking them to Stafford City, to Kmart, uh, Iggy, I mean, I don't know, the kid isn't going to fit all that money in his wallet in coins, but I felt a little bit strange because he looked like, you know, someone from a Robin Hood movie. He had like a little hessian sack that jangled and he's a strange enough child as it is uh, in his big hat and his holy shoes that he's just far too attached to. Anyway, there was him, Athanasius, I didn't realise till we got to the shops. He had some of those stretchy kind of cotton pants on that toddler boys wear and he just had the money shoved into his pockets. So Iggy's like little John or whoever carries a sack of coins but Affy's pants are like getting pulled down as he's walking along and having to pull them up. And, uh, you know, there's coins falling everywhere. I'm not sure that he had underwear on. I was helping him to avoid anybody finding out whether he did or not. And finally, anyway, we get... I mean, you see some strange stuff at Stafford City, but we were that strange thing that day. Um, yeah, so we're in the toy aisles. And it was really fascinating to see their personalities all come out. So Junie just looked at it all and was like, I don't know if I want anything here. I took a picture of her just standing in the aisle, like looking lost with no idea what, she, you know, dad, will you choose a toy for me? No. I took a picture of her looking lost and I sent it to Cheryl and I made the mistake of it. She just happened to be in that aisle with the bad costume stuff, like Elsa costumes and stuff like that. She wasn't even really looking at it. She was just zoning out overwhelmed by it and I sent it to Cheryl and I said this is your daughter she doesn't know what she wants and she and Cheryl responded I'll tell you what she's not getting any of that polyester clothing like and so I said I don't think she's really looking at it she's like can you make sure she knows that she's not going to buy a polyester dress up so I was like yeah sure Junie darling mum says and Junie's like I know no polyester <laughs> like, how old are you anyway Iggy piled up more like than $50 worth, but he's been saving for years. And then when we got to crunch time to actually go to the till, he just put everything back, uh, buy one thing. And anyway, uh, Athy was another case. But one thing that's weird about Kmart is those registers in the middle where you self-serve. I don't know what the psychology of that is, but that's where we went. And uh, there's no one on till, so it's all got to go through these self-serve things. And so I'm like, oh, this could be interesting. Three children, hundreds of <laughs> coins. Um, 
I said, guys, can you just, uh, can you just wait and I'll take you all through. Now, one of the children, I, I didn't reveal their identity this morning. You'll probably guess which one anyway. He's, he, he got 33% of getting it right, 66 percent chance of knowing who I'm talking about. Anyway, he's just going through a stage where it's, he just, he needs to do it himself, right? Like, Dad, I can do it. Um, stay out of my business. So I'm putting the other two through and um, I notice him after five minutes, I'm in the middle of things, kind of waiting there. He said, Dad, I, I need some help here. Okay, I went and had a look and he had put like, I want to say 30 something dollars from memory of coins into the note slot. So I'm just looking down this skinny note slot that's just jammed with coins. Um, Seemed like a lesson, like I was like ready to let him lose, you know, 30 bucks or whatever, but they could actually open it up and get it all out. But I just thought, you know, I've seen that in my kids from the get-go. Like they, they just want to do things themselves. Uh, they don't like asking for help with certain things. Um, they've got like a pride thing, like we, like we all do. Um, I... Chris will know this. Um, some of you might have heard me talk about this, but I don't think it goes away. Uh, you know, we don't really grow out of it. What Chris will know is I do this thing with students at the beginning of a class, whatever the class is, where we talk about the Dunning-Kruger effect. Does anyone know what that is? So it, uh, these psychologists um, have observed this phenomena. And, you know, it's documented. They've done some good research into it where almost as a default, people think that they know more about things than they really do. So there's a confidence that people take into situations uh, in areas of knowledge that they have no expertise, they believe they have some sort of understanding. And there's this, these great graphs, if you Google it, um, where like on the vertical axis, they have confidence and on the horizontal axis, they have competence or you know expertise and there's this sort of would you call it a parabola there's like a um an arc that goes like that so it goes up right at the beginning of competence and then goes down and then slowly starts going back up and they call the up right at the beginning of your competence journey in a new field of knowledge Mount stupid because <laughs> any, you know, like a human being, but I, I, I experience it with Christian students who come into, I mean, I don't know if it's a Pentecostal thing. It's a Pentecostal thing. Uh, but often with a suspicion of like education, they're like, I'm pretty sure this guy, I don't know why they come to, to seminary exactly, but I'm pretty sure this guy's going to corrupt the perfect faith that I inherited at, you know, zip-de-doo. ACC church in whoop de doo um, and not all of them, but there's, a, there's, a, there's enough in there that I just know I'm talking to 10% of this room who won't learn anything in this class. And here I'm giving an, um, them an opportunity to go, everybody summits Mount Stupid <laughs> at the beginning. 
and then you begin to learn and find out what you don't know, right? And you go into this valley of despair. I, th I thought I knew what it meant to be a Christian. And then this guy is telling me that the Bible was originally written in another language or something like that. And then over, over time, if you commit yourself to it, you can slowly begin to develop some expertise. Um, but I mean, just another example of how we as human beings, we, we, we think we got it all going on when really it would be better if the default setting was humility. It's not. The default setting is not humility. James goes on, so he says, God opposes the proud, which is bad news for us, but shows favour to the humble. He says then, submit yourselves then to God. And um, I, I hesitated a little bit at, at sort of drilling too much into the analogy of myself with my kids, because <laughs> it very conveniently puts me in the place of God. But, you know, I think... There's a lot to that image of my child coming up and going, Dad, I've done stuffed up. <laughs> you gave me something valuable and I've just gone my own way and I've made a mess of it. I think that's really a lot what it is like with God, right? He gives us good things. He blesses us and we go and shove those gold coins down the, uh, the note slot so often. Submit yourselves then to God. It's about being able to go to God and say, actually, I, I realise now I probably should have asked for your help from the start, but could you, could you lean back into my situation here? Could you see if the teenager has a key that opens the... Submit yourselves then to God, James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Verse 7 goes on. I read a, a commentator because I feel like this is one of those, I, I'm, I'm wary of getting too caught up, like too actively resisting the devil. Um, but I, I read a commentary by a, call, a guy called Douglas Moo, really respected evangelical New Testament scholar. And he says, basically his comment on this is, whatever power Satan might have, the Christian can be absolutely certain that they have been given the ability to overcome that power. So by submitting themselves to God, they are resisting the devil. When we do things out of our own sense of self, out of a sense of pride, assured of our own capacity, of our own skill, we live in a worldly way. We're fair game for the adversary. But when we submit ourselves to God, he works through us we are empowered by him and so because we have his power the one who has overcome the devil <laughs> the devil cannot but flee from us yeah it's good <laughs> it's good stuff verse 8 come near to god and he will come near to you that's that thing again, isn't it? About going, Dad, I, I need your help over here. I've done the wrong thing. I need your help. I need you to help get me back on track. It's just a matter of being open. It's just a matter of seeing that we're at, we're, 
we're in need of him. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Again, James is echoing the Old Testament. Hosea 12.6 says, uh, and, and experts in the language say these are kind of the closest parallels between the Old and New Testament uh, sort of vibe here. Hosea 12.6, but you must return to your God, maintain love and justice, and wait for your God always. So it's about coming and being able to tap God on the shoulder and say, God, I, I need your help here. I need your help to be that humble. James goes on, verses 8 and 9. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded people. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. I don't think James is giving us an instruction to be uh, sad sacks there. It's a picture of repentance, isn't it? It's a picture of being able to go, I, I have. <laughs> I've messed up. I'm in need of help. Finally, verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. The key, right? <laughs> the keys, as they were, to, to godliness. It's about just turning our hearts to God when we're in need of Him, uh, recognizing our need of Him, having the humility to say, hey, God, help us. That good thing that you've given me, I've shoved it down the wrong slot. <laughs> Can you help me? Does everybody have um, community bits and pieces? If you don't, it's easily solved. Could I actually hand the basket to you to, to hand along, please? Yeah, why don't you take the moment to do the rippy bit and just be ready to eat and drink in a moment. To work too hard to get this uh, message to communion, <laughs> do I? It's it's about coming to God <laughs> and saying, "I need your help. Thank you, <laughs> thank you for helping me." Um, but I'm going to read First Corinthians 11:23 to 26 to kind of shape and frame our thoughts really directly on the way that. God helps us. <laughs> he helps us through Christ. He loves us so much that he sends Jesus, his son, who pays the ultimate price to get us back on track, to give us freedom, to give us life. Paul says... In his letter to the church at Corinth, 
For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Why don't we eat? In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Clem, I wonder if there's another song that you could be prepared to lead us in. You know, I think there's some assurance in this passage. Many people that I'm talking to and even maybe just vibes that I'm picking up Many people are feeling the spiritual battle right there, right? They're, they're, they're very aware um, of the conflict that is at the heart of so much of history, but seems to be manifesting in particular ways in our time. We do live in troubled times. <laughs> We're on the back of two plus years of, you know, not been able to do anything normally there's a lot of division isn't there there's something spiritual about that there there's some encouragement (laughs) you know we don't have to do battle with satan we just need to be humble before god we need to recognize that we are in need (laughs) of his help that's encouraging. Also, also encouraging, you know, whatever mess we've gotten our lives into, um, he can get us out of. <laughs> as easy as it was for me to have that conversation with the teenage clerk. Hey, could you, is there a way of getting these coins out of that slot? He's got ways and means that we just don't have access to. And um, we might be looking (laughs) down, you know, the shaft of what is the biggest mistake we've maybe made, wasting the most we've ever had. And it's nothing to him. (laughs) It's nothing to him to get us out of whatever pickle we're in. Josh, I've just got a burn in my heart to say this, that... um Never to, for us never to mistake humiliation for being for being humble. Mm. Jesus died on the cross. The ultimate humiliation was that cross. He bore humiliation. So when it happens to us, it's not of his doing. Um, 
he works everything for good, but please never think that um, any debasing or stripping of your dignity was by the hand, the good hand of God. He died that that would be redeemed. And he wants to redeem every humiliation and every indignity that you've ever suffered. Thanks, Joy. I, I, I agree. James agrees because he says <laughs> he will lift <laughs> you up. I know there are streams of Christianity that that maybe imagine that, you know, when bad things happen to us, they come from the hand of God, but it's not, it's not this stream of, of Christianity. So, so thank you, Joy. The, the, the point is <laughs> that he loves us, <laughs> whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. And he's the one that we go to for help. God, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that there is nothing, you say, nothing that can separate us from your love. God, if there's anyone here this evening who, who needs to have you near to them. We thank you for the way that your word says it's just a matter of us coming near to you. It's just a matter of us being willing to come and tap you on the shoulder, grab the bottom of your shirt, <laughs> tug it a bit and say, God, I need your help here. And you'll be near. You'll be near. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins, for the lifting of shame. I pray that tonight for anyone who needs that. Loved, favoured children of God. <laughs> Loved, favoured children of God. Forgiven children. God, I pray that as we go out into our weeks this week, by your spirit you would make us godly like you. Those who desire good things, those who walk in humility, those who know the power of our tongues and so seek to build others up and not tear them down. Empower your people, I pray, Lord, to be great agents of your love in the world. Amen. Thanks. Thanks, Pastor Clem. Mm -hmm.